If you would join me um, in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, let me go ahead and mention in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll actually have a, a kind of a guest. He's really um, an, an old Northside member back when Northside Church really began. And of course, Grace View is kind of uh, the continuation of Northside Church that began back, I think, in 1988. But one of the young men that was a senior in high school the year that, uh, that Northside began, who is now one of our missionaries, he'll be here in two weeks. Uh, so that's Brian and Sabrina Waters, and uh, so he's going to be speaking for us that day, updating us on his ministry. And can I go ahead and plant a little bug, okay? Um, and the reason I mention this now, and I hope I remember it next week, uh, I grew up in my home church. Uh, my uncle Lewis was the pastor. Very often, uh, we would take love offerings, right? And I mean, so you got your your offerings, but I mean. A month didn't go by but that you took a love offering and um, really probably about every other week if you averaged it out what I remember uh, so I've been here about two years and nine or ten months and we've not had one of those and that's probably my fault but uh, I think the Lord is leading us in a couple of weeks to we're going to certainly give Brian honorarium to speak but uh, this might be a chance for us to be a blessing to their family so I want to throw that out even now so you come prepared as the Lord leads on June 2nd uh, to be a blessing to that family and uh, looking forward to that already that'll give you a break from listening to me so that'll get you something really excited put that on the calendar be there June 2nd don't have to listen to Jeff so all right make sure you're here Matthew chapter 5 I, I want to go and confess today I think is going to be a little bit different uh, I know it's going to be a little bit different than what we have been doing and here's the main difference it's not just that the topic we're going to look at as you see on your handout is different but the whole tone, I thought about how that today's message is really like almost all teaching and not really a lot of preaching. And I hope as you hear this message that you'll understand why it is more about teaching and there are application points. But I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit to do the application in your own life and really one main application that we'll get to at the end. If you would join me, Matthew chapter 5. We're still at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I do realize I've got to pick up the pace soon. Had every intention this week of hitting at least two of the Beatitudes. Just didn't happen. Um, long about Tuesday, Wednesday, I was really stressing like, Lord, how am I going to get to verse uh, 6 uh, when we've got these things on verse number 5 and then kind of felt like Wednesday evening it was clarified like only supposed to speak on verse 5 and there will be plenty there this morning. Uh, Lord willing, I'd like to think we'll have at least two of these next week. Um, we don't want to just camp out there. But notice verse number one. So it's talking about Christ. Verse number one, seeing the crowd. So Christ is ministering in Galilee, northern, northern Israel. And these crowds are following him because he's healing people. And his teaching is so unique and authoritative. And his preaching. And so there's lots of crowds, but there's a distinction made. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, that's the official teaching position of that day, his disciples, so we've made a distinction, there's the crowds, thousands no doubt, and then there's his disciples like Peter and Andrew, James and John. These are the people who left everything to follow Christ. 
These are the ones that he, they've declared him, you're our Lord, we're going to spend our life learning of you and learning from you. And whatever you say to do and wherever you say to go, we're going to obey that. That's who Christ is talking to in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, his disciples, them. Verse 3, blessed, we're only going to read three verses of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. So recapping quickly. Blessing means Christ is pronouncing a blessing. He's saying these are the approved people. These are the fortunate ones. I hope you'll internalize this really are the the fortunate people, even though we may look at them and say they don't sound very fortunate. These are the happy people. These are the ones who are in a happy position whether they feel it or not. It is not about a happy feeling. Hopefully that's there. There'll be times where the happy feeling is not there. But Christ's words are authoritative. Blessed are the poor. The word poor here means absolute poverty. You don't have anything. But it's not talking about finances. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So this is a person who as they stand before the Lord, have you ever been here? As you talk to the Lord, you've come to a realization, God, I have nothing. I have no righteousness to bring. I know you have to have righteousness to go to heaven. I have none. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There really is a kingdom, and theirs is the kingdom. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So again, this is the person who not only sees, I am totally bankrupt, Father. God, I the earth. So I want to jump right into your first note if you're filling out the handout. Meekness is the proper response to being poor in spirit and mourning. So I'll say it again. Meekness is the natural outflow. If I could say it this way. If this is genuine and real, if this is real, I mean, you really catch yourself standing before God. God, I have no spiritual resources. Lord, I am a sinner. I know specific, I'm sinful, but I know specific acts of sin. And you mourn over, the, over those, then you can guarantee that meekness is what's going to be the result of that. And so today, I want these are not random ordered. These are very specifically ordered. Being poor in spirit, acknowledging your sin should lead to mourning over your sin. When those are real, then that should lead to meekness. And so I've got to ask you this morning. When you think of the word meekness, I'm going to say some things in a few minutes. Some of you already looked at the handout. You already know where the next few blanks are going. You've, you know those. When I thought of this one, hadn't taught on this in a long, long time, but I knew, oh, I remember what meekness is. But there's some folks in here who have never learned what meekness is, biblical meekness. Some of you do. But I want to ask you, be honest. When you think of meekness, maybe you picture a certain person. Maybe you picture a type of person. Or maybe you say, oh, I know someone and they're very, very meek. What is it about them that makes them meek in your mind? The average person, if they were to define meekness, would probably use Something like this. This is what is conjured up in the mind. The mind imagines a person with these descriptions. Here it is. Meekness. Weakness. Meekness. That's the timid person. Meekness is the soft-spoken. I'm sorry, what would you say? Hey, if you're going to be around here, you've got to speak up, buddy. Ah, meek and mild. That's that one. Hey, if you're going to be on this crew, you've got you to speak up, man. You're going to get run over. Meekness. Other people think of oh, someone's meek. They, they never get upset. They lack assertiveness. They don't have assertiveness. 
And they probably, if we're honest, when we're picturing the meek person, meek and mild, we're picturing a person who probably lacks some courage. That's how most people in the world think of meekness. Weakness, timid, not assertive, soft-spoken, pretty much getting run over all the time. I want you to get this, and I hope I'm going to go into my first point in a minute, and it's, that's the main thrust of it. That is exactly what Jesus is not describing. Please do not think of Jesus as describing those things. Those are probably natural characteristics of a person. That's someone's natural personality, or it was not going to be their natural personality, but they maybe had abusive parents, or they were made fun of in school, or they had a traumatic event in life, or a series of traumatic events that has beaten them down, and it has left them non-assertive, almost coming across as if they don't have any ideas of their own. They're just going to go with whatever we say. Ah, they're meek and mild. Just kind of, just tell them what to do. Let's just run over them. That is not what Christ is is describing. In fact, I want to propose to you today that the truly biblically meek person is not weak. They are actually the strongest kind of person. Notice four things with me about meekness this morning. Number one, meekness is proper use of strength. Meekness is proper use of strength. So I want to repeat, meekness is not weakness. If you're hearing this, say, I don't think I really want to be meek. I don't care what kind of blessing goes with it. Lord, I don't want to be seen as meek. Meekness is not weakness. In fact, I want to propose to you that meekness is strength brought under control. It is strength, power under control, and it manifests itself in our relationships. In fact, the person who has meekness, they're the ones in our relationships, they have the real power in the relationship. You say, no, no, the ones who are running over everyone, who are taking charge, taking the lead, they are the ones who have the power. I would say the meek, the biblically meek people are the strongest people in the relationships. The word meekness has actually been translated. I want to give you some word pictures this morning. You see where we're going on the handout. It, the same word has been translated as gentleness. Now, you may think of gentleness, you're probably thinking of a mother with a little baby, something like that. But I want you to think of a big, strong dad. I mean, I mean a big guy. I mean a super strong guy, and he's changing a little baby's diaper. Or maybe he's found a little hurt bird. I mean, big, strong guy. He found a little bird, and he's just being as tender as he can, clean that thing, working with a little baby, changing a diaper, getting little crevices. Why, you know, like, big, strong guys don't change diapers. That's women's work. This guy, he is really strong. He's so strong. He's secure in who he is. I changed diapers. He could crush that little baby in a heartbeat, but he doesn't because he's gentle. The ancient Greeks kind of gave the idea of meekness in three pictures to us. And I want to share these. These are not originally anyone. We don't know who to give credit to. These are just standard word pictures. Here's the first one. Meekness has to do with the word picture of wind. Wind. It's a breeze. Meekness is a breeze. It's not a breeze to live. It's like a gentle breeze. Now, y'all help me out. What determines if wind is a good thing or if wind is a bad thing? Some people are like, whew, well, I'm glad there's some wind. Others are like, oh, no, there's some wind. What determines whether wind is a good thing or a bad thing? It depends on what? The strength of the wind. How much wind? So if you're taking notes, 
meekness is pictured by a gentle breeze that refreshes. So I've got to ask you, as soon as you're writing that, here's my question for you. In your relationships, are you kind of like a gentle breeze that refreshes? Or would you be described by those people around you, nah, they're not a gentle breeze, they're kind of a hurricane. And I'm going to give you a clue. If tomorrow you go down the hallway at work and the hallway clears, or you go to the break room and all of a sudden there's time left on the break, but the break room kind of starts getting empty, you're not a gentle breeze, you're a hurricane. You're not meek. There are some situations that some people are like, I just wish so-and-so was here. They would just kind of be refreshing in this. And there's other, boy, I hope so-and-so, uh-oh, they're in a mood today. Hurricanes coming down the hallway. And everybody, get out of their way. Just stay clear today. Coming on too strong. Here's the second. That's a lot like it. It's not just a gentle breeze. Meekness is pictured by medicine. Medicine is inherently powerful stuff. You don't mess around with medicine. Medicine can be a good thing. Medicine can be a bad thing. Here's meekness is pictured by a soothing medicine that brings healing. But just like with the wind, if you have too much of a good thing, comes on a little too strong, then you're not bringing healing. You're not soothing the situation. You're actually going to harm the situation. You might even kill someone. And there's a lot of people go through life like a strong medicine instead of like a right, proper dosage of a healing medicine. Sometimes people are like, boy, if so-and-so was just here, I think they could bring a healing feel to this, this whole dynamic. But they're not. And that guy over there is, or she is, and they're blowing the whole thing up, and everybody's going to end up mad at each other. You need some meekness in your relationships. Those are two good ones, but I'm going to tell you the main picture is the third one. Meekness is written. This is good because this helps me picture Jeff are you meek how are you in your relationships I've got a lot of work as I'm studying this this week I'm like Jeff you got some serious problems I've got problems and maybe the Lord will use just teaching today to reveal some areas of weakness the classic illustration of meekness actually comes from a broken anybody know it horse a broken horse what does that mean a lot of people go through life, and by the way, some of us are in this room right now, we go through life like wild horses. What does a wild horse do? Whatever he wants to do. He's not in a fence. He doesn't have a master. He doesn't have an owner. He's wild and free. Maybe he's leading a group of people. He's impressive. He's really, really strong. And he does whatever he wants to do all day long. There are a lot of people who live their lives like wild horses doing what they... Here's the thing. They have power to really be productive and do something industrious and accomplish things. But wild horses will never win races. You know why wild horses are not entered into races? Wild horses never plow a field and feed hundreds of people because wild horses have never, here's the key, surrendered to the hand of a master. A broken horse 
You say, but isn't the broken, does something genetically happen that the broken horse is now weaker? No, absolutely not. The broken horse has all the same power. I'm going to go further. The broken horse still has a will of its own, but the broken horse has surrendered to the hand of a man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Come on now. Easy. And they actually submit to the bit. And they submit to the bridle. And they'll even submit to the saddle or a plow. And these things are super strong. The maverick, wild, boy, he's impressive. He's really strong. He does whatever he wants to do. But the broken horse has all the same things. Again, I'm going to propose he still has a will, still has all the strength, but he has submitted his will to the will of another person. That's what submission means. Submarine. Sub means under. Marine has to do with water. The submarine is an underwater vessel. Submission means somebody's underneath their mission, their agenda, their will, what I want to do. I have one, but I'm going to line it up under submission, under the will of another person. Christians, listen to me. A Christian is called to live... Yes, you have your own ideas and you have your own will. You have your own agenda, but you are called to live lives of eternal significance by bringing your will and your strength under the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meekness is great strength brought under control. I'm going to propose not even just self-control. I've got to be meek. Got to be meek. Got to stand in control. Hone it in, buddy. More than self-control, true meekness is being brought underneath God's control. And when that person does that, this person becomes, the truly meek person becomes so secure, they are so strong, check yourself, they are so strong, they do not demand to have their own way in situations. Don't need to demand to have their own way. Why? I have yielded my will, my agenda my desires to the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to go in and run over everyone and intimidate everyone. I thought about this the other day. I've been here, you know, coming up at, at the end of July, three years. And I'm give or take, I think I've been in around 40 elders' meetings. And almost half of those, we've had the deacons with us. Guys, I'm going to tell you, it is so strange. It is so unusual. There are people in that room each time, been about 40 of them, that could dominate intimidate, demand their rights, and just crush everybody. Could. I've not been in one meeting where that has happened. What happens? Now, I pray the Lord protects us. I hope he never lets someone come on there that is self-willed and lacks the meekness that's being described here because they just ruin it. You can tell it immediately. Haven't been in one meeting where somebody's come in like, we're going to do it my way. Not yet. I praise the Lord for that. A lot of churches have that. We've been We've been blessed. Second thought I want to give you this morning. So meekness is not only proper use of strength, oh, they're weak. No, no, no. These are the strong. They're so strong, so secure, they don't have to run over everyone. They don't have to intimidate. They could. Maybe used to do that. Not anymore. Number two, this is a key thought. If there were to be preaching points, it would come out of this one. Meekness reveals a proper view of self. If you find, I asked you a while ago, 
What do you think of? Do you think of a specific person? So now as we've learned what is meekness, a little bit, got a picture of it, gentle breeze, healing, soothing medicine, a broken horse that's lined its wheel under another. Okay, if you're starting to think, I think I know some meek people. If you know a Christian that has a meekness about them, I mean, they could run over people, but they don't. If you know a person like that, you're probably looking or thinking of a person who has a proper view of themselves. This is a key point. Let me share some thoughts. I'm going to invite you to do something. I don't have time. It would really require probably about two minutes to do. So you'll have to take this home. But I want to invite you to go to your heart. I mean your heart of hearts. Do you know what I'm talking about? I referred to it the other day as that place where you're honest with yourself. Do you know that place where you tell yourself the truth? And here's what I want you to do. Take some time this week, maybe later today, and just sit and get quiet a couple minutes and say, God, would you reveal to me what is my honest heart of hearts, being honest with myself, what is my view of my relation, me to other people? How do I, view, how do I really view myself in relation to other people? I want to invite you to try to do that just in the next few seconds. So I'm going to throw out some prepositions. and I'm going to use the pulpit. Right now, I am behind the pulpit. Now I am beside the pulpit. My hand is in front of the pulpit. I am, and people say I say that word funny, I am over the lectern. There's a rug under it. There's some water, a couple of bottles of water, Kleenex, box of Kleenex that is in it. So there's in, beside, over, under, behind, in front. How do you view yourself? Can you honestly, now really peel away the layers and be honest as you look around here where you work, your family, your neighborhood, the team, the class at school, wherever it may be, in your heart of hearts, do you see yourself as, Jeff, I kind of think I'm kind of just in them. I'm just kind of one of them. Or uh, I kind of picture they're here and I'm beside them. Or would you honestly say, the Lord knows my heart. I, I always picture other people a little bit ahead of me and I need to get where they're at. Or maybe you say, I, I kind of see everybody else kind of above me. Do you know where most people picture themselves? Because we all in our heart of hearts see ourselves as right. And not everybody else is right. We see ourselves as always right. We kind of picture ourselves over or out in front. Everybody would do well to be where I, you need to get up. You guys are way behind from where I am. I'm out front. I'm over and you would do well to get up to where I am. Check your heart. It tells whether you have a meekness about you. I want you to write this down, very important. Meekness, biblical meekness, cannot be worked up, and that's why my message today is not a lot of preaching. It can't be just worked up. I'm going to go ahead and confess. When I conclude today, we're going to have a time of prayer. We're probably not going to have an ending song. We're going to pray and dismiss. It's going to be a little bit different than usual. Why? I am not going to conclude by telling you guys, now go out and be meek. Go forth and be meek. That's not what we're going to do. Why? You can't work it up. God's not buying it. You're not fooling anybody. You can go pretend to do meek acts. You're like, well, then what's the whole point of the message? We can't be meek. Meekness can be accomplished, but it cannot be worked up. So where's it come from? Continue your note. It can't be worked up. Here's the key. Genuine humility is unconscious. It's not conscious. I've got to be meek. Stop doing those things. 
genuine. The real goal is genuine humility that is unconscious. How's that happen? Genuine humility is the unconscious result of a proper view of self. Did you catch it earlier? That's why I said it's number three. This is where we need to start teaching ourselves here. When we're really poor in spirit before the Lord, really mournful, then we start getting a proper view of self. Where does a proper view of self come from? A proper view of God. So genuine humility is the result of a proper view of self, which is only possible from a proper view of God. And so here's the conclusion. Here's where I'm going to finish. I'm going to tell you. I'm giving you the conclusion right now. Regular, sustained. Again, note these words. Regular, sustained. So they're lengthy. They're not little quick pop in and out. Regular, sustained times with God will combat our natural pride that all of us have. All of us have natural pride. You know, no, I don't, Jeff. If anybody in here has pride, it's not me. I have my struggles, but pride is not one of them. Okay. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that you don't have those issues. We all battle. What helps us in this struggle? Regular, repeated, sustained, deep times with God. You're not going to just go out and go be meek. No, the real challenge, the preaching point today is spend more regular, sustained, repeated, deep times with God. Isaiah chapter 6. Would you turn back there? Hold your spot here. Go with me if you would. Isaiah chapter 6. This is probably one of the few that we could have gone to. I have several passages today, so I know we have one verse in Matthew chapter 5, but we're going to go different places like we have been doing. So even though we're going through Matthew, we're not stuck in Matthew. We're hitting lots of passages. Today's, though, I'm going to pop in them. I'm not going to get bogged down. I'm going to keep moving. Isaiah chapter 6, very classic. Here we go. Isaiah's the prophet. Notice what he writes in verse number 1 through verse 5. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. And here's our thought. Meekness, when you find it, it reveals a proper view of self. Isaiah 6, 1. Isaiah says, this is so momentous, he remembers exactly when it happened. In the year that King Uzziah died, that's when it happened. I saw the Lord sitting, he was sitting upon a throne, high. So he's sitting, he's high, and lifted. I saw the Lord sitting high, lifted up. And the train of his robe, I saw the Lord, he was sitting, he was high, he was lifted, and he's robed. So what I saw, Isaiah says... And his train, the train of his robe, filled the temple. And Isaiah says, I saw these other things. Above him, so he's seated. Above him stood the seraphim. This is a type of angel. Very strong beings. Real thing here. Notice, a little different than you've been seeing the pictures and the paintings from the 1500s. He says, each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, so here's Isaiah. This is really happening. This is not just a strange vision. This is him being able to see what's going on in heaven. He sees the Lord high, lifted up, seated, robed. He sees the seraphim. They have six wings, cover there, cover there. They're flying, they're standing, and they're calling out. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God is called the Lord of hosts. He's called the Lord of the host of the angels, the Lord of the host of the armies of Israel. These angels are talking about the Lord of hosts. In fact, they say the whole earth is full of His glory. And really, it's more than just an announcement. It's, it's, it's a plea. Let the whole earth be filled with the fullness of Christ's glory. 
And so this is what Isaiah is seeing, and there he is. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says in verse 5, And I said, Woe is me. Woe means a pronouncement of judgment. I am in big trouble. I am having judgment. I am feeling condemnation. And I said, as he's seeing this, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How do you know this, Isaiah? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I saw that. You know, what was your conclusion? Wasn't it great? Did you feel exhilarated? Did did you just kind of have a big old party? Isaiah says, oh, in some ways it was wonderful. In another way it was awful. You know what I felt like? I am condemned. I grew up back when uh, my generation, we grew up watching Captain Kangaroo and Sesame Street. Okay? Sesame Street used to do this thing. I remember they had a guy with a bucket, and he would go paint numbers on the street. I don't know why they did that. Some of you are like, I remember that. And others of you are like, why is he talking about this? I don't know what he's talking about. They also would take the screen, and they would do like four screenshots. And they would have three kids doing the same thing and one kid doing something different. They had a little song. One of these kids is doing his own thing. One of these kids is just not the same. How many of you ever heard that? Y'all remember? Yes! This is some of my group. Some of you are like, yeah, it was actually my kids that were watching that, but I remember... This was fun times. That's Isaiah. He sees the Lord, the seraphim, all this is going on, and he's like, somebody doesn't belong in this picture, and it's me. Isaiah, hear me. Isaiah sees the sin of his people, but he sees first his own sin. When you encounter God, you see your own sin, and then you will notice. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips... Out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Lips unclean give away unclean heart, unclean mind, unclean nature. I'm an awful, filthy, nasty person. By the way, I dwell in the midst of a people that are awful, awful nasty, filthy people. I don't belong in this scene. I'm the one that's not fit. I'm lost here. I'm out of place. You ever felt that way? You ever been in the presence of the Lord? I want to share this thought. And I'll be brief here, but this, I think, is one of the keys of the message. We may be humble before God, and that's important. But here's what I find. I, guys, I've been with the Lord before, and the Lord has shown me enough of himself before. It has brought me to a level of humility. That's his doing. That's not mine. But here's my confession. No sooner do I leave his recognizable, focused presence and go back out into the world, as soon as I do that, The old nature wants to crop up and reassert itself quickly. D.A. Carson quotes a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he says, Lloyd-Jones, hear me, rightly applies meekness to our attitudes toward others. This is key. Carson says, Lloyd-Jones rightly applies meekness to our attitudes toward others. Now, here's your quote on your handout. We may acknowledge our bankruptcy and mourn. But to respond with meekness when others tell us of our bankruptcy is far harder. I found that so convicting. I know you're writing it, so I want you to hear it again. Taste it. Lloyd-Jones says, we may acknowledge our own bankruptcy and mourn. But to respond with meekness when others tell us of our bankruptcy is far harder. So Jeff, what does that mean? 
Here's what it means. I may actually get in a place where the Lord draws so close, I see His holiness, and I start seeing my sinfulness, and I start just confessing, God, I am a dog. Lord, I, am, I have pride. I am discontent. I am judgmental. Lord, I have this problem and that one and that one, and I just start confessing it. Envy and jealousy and anger and lack of love and lack of doing. I'm so unfaithful and you really mean it. You're confessing. Boy, you feel horrible about it. And then you leave the presence of the Lord. You know what? Somebody else comes on said, you are like a very unloving person. What are you saying? Don't you tell me. We literally default that quick back to defensiveness. Happened to me Friday. Had somebody tell me something about me. That I've said out loud to other people many times. They said it to me. My first reaction was wanting to defend myself. Like, wait a minute. They didn't know it, but all they're really saying, well, well, time out. I'm just saying what you say. I'm just agreeing with you. You really are that. I get to say that to the Lord, but don't you tell me. We got to do it often. It's got to be repeated. To possess true meekness really does rely on deep and frequent exposure to God. Number three. I missed a word in your handout, so if you want to like plug it in, it could have been written better. Number three. So I'm going to say it with the word plugged in. Meekness was best exemplified by Moses and, of course, Jesus. Meekness was best exemplified by Moses and Jesus. Hold your spot. Well, never mind. You don't need to hold your spot in Isaiah. Would you go with me? You see the reference. Maybe you do. I'm not sure. Numbers chapter 12. Would you flip back there? Numbers chapter 12. And we'll read that in just a moment. There's several good examples in the Bible of those that are meek. Can you think of some in the Old Testament? Remember Abraham? Abraham, his nephew Lot, he's the uncle. He's the one who has the promise of God. And their flocks and herds and servants are all getting a little crowded. But Abraham tells Lot, hey, you pick which part of the land you want to go and I'll go the other. I get to pick? Yeah, you pick. He had the power, but he gave it up to his nephew. I'm thinking of Joseph. Joseph is a classic example. So in his day, probably Joseph was the most meek man on the face of the earth, maybe of his day. His brothers sold him into slavery. And I can imagine as he's going away, the confusion. And they have such hatred. They really wanted to kill him. But one of the older brothers talked them out of killing him. So all they did was sell him into slavery. And off he goes into slavery. Years and years later, you should know this story. He ends up in the position of power. He could have them, he could have them put in prison. Or he could have had them killed. Nobody, no one would have questioned what he did. Number two, highest ranked man in the world at that time. He's got the power. And Joseph's attitude is, what you meant for evil again against me God meant for good God's using this I forgive you brothers and he takes care of his brothers who hated him and sold him into slavery I'm thinking of David who is the rightful king Saul abused neglected denied lied manipulated 
was not a worshiper. God is going to remove the kingdom from King Saul, and he's given it to David. David's even been anointed. Saul tries to kill David over and over, and through the circumstances that are strange, the Lord actually puts Saul in a cave where David and his men are there. Saul has tried twice to kill him directly with a javelin, and now Saul is right over there sleeping in the middle of the night, and all David has to do is go up and kill him. David even cuts the hem of his garment off to prove, I could have killed you, but David withholds. And he has this high respect for the king. You're still king. So David has great meekness, but Moses is called more meek than all people who are on the face of the earth. So we have 15 verses. I'm going to fly through them. I want you to catch this. Moses is a very powerful, very, very powerful man. Moses has led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. I mean, that's all they knew. 400 years, he leads them out of Egypt. When he says things, things happen. Miracles that had never happened before this. Very powerful man. He leads them out. He leads them through the wilderness. All, here's key. All he's doing is following the direction of God. God speaks to Moses. He tells people what to do. He pronounces things. Miracles start happening. All he's doing is obeying God. But every now and then there's tough spots. And for his efforts, all that he did for them, the nation of Israel just constantly complains about him and complains to him. Not a fun group. You would not want, you say, I wish I was Moses. and You would not want to live the life Moses lived. Most people would have said, you know what? After all I've done for you, that's all you guys do for me? Forget it. I'm done. Find another leader. God, I want out of this. God even offered to obliterate them, and he keeps praying for Israel. So they complain on and on. But this time, it's his own older brother and older sister. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Why? Because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, so I'm confused. I'm not going into it all. There's a lot in this text. I've never preached on this text. I'm only going to pull out a couple of thoughts. But verse 2, I'm confused. If you have an issue with the Cushite woman, then why in the world are you bringing out this argument? It's almost like they used this problem to bring up the real problem they've been having. Verse 2, and they said, so got a problem with the Cushite woman. Verse 2, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And truth be told, we're not given a lot of details, but God did speak through them. Is he only speaking through Moses? He speaks through more than Moses. Doesn't he speak, speak through us? Watch the last part of verse 2. And the Lord heard it. Uh-oh. Now the man Moses was very meek. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam. You picturing it? Moses, Moses, I need you to come on out. Aaron, Miriam, y'all get yourself out here. <laughs> I'm adding a little bit. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. When God says, do that, you're going to do it. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron, Miriam. And they both came forward. You two step forward. Got three of you. Everybody here? Everybody see? This is in the middle of the camp, right in front of the tabernacle. You three, all right, you two step forward. And he said... Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. Are we clear? If there's a prophet, and I know it does happen, it's because I initiate it. I come, I speak to them in a vision. Next part of the verse, I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. 
With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I might talk to you, but I never talk to you like I talk to him all the time. Why did you have the audacity to cross the line and talk about him? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, them and he departed. Glad that's over. Well, no, not really, because verse 10 says, When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, small L, not capital L, Sir, oh, younger brother, oh, my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly. Confession. And have sinned. Confession. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. Please, don't let her die. Yes, we've messed up. We're really, really sorry. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her. Please. But the Lord, there's a price to pay. He listens to Moses. But the Lord said to Moses, Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, your dad... If your dad had spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. They say maybe about two million Jews. I can picture the ones who are far away don't really know what's going on. How come we're not moving? What's the deal? I don't know. Something about Aaron and Miriam piped off about Moses, and now we're stuck. Apparently Miriam got leprosy, Moses prayed for her, she's going to be healed, or maybe already is healed, but she's got to pay a price, so we're stuck for seven days. She's got to, got to do the walk of shame for seven days, her fault. Meekness. Would you look at verse 11 and just be honest? This is where I realize, boy, I've got a long way to go. I am not Moses. So this happens to Miriam after this strong rebuke by the Lord. The Lord pulls away, and there's Miriam leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, verse 11, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we've done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead. Please do something. What would you do right there? I think right about there I'd go, Oh, I got an idea, Aaron. Why don't you just do one of your speeches? Remember verse number 2? Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken? You got this. You got this. Oh, you need me. Oh, you want me to pray? Oh, now I'm important. That's what I would do. That's not what Moses does. And I'm going to tell you something actually made me chuckle. I'm just throw this in the other day. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. Who wrote verse 3? Moses. Now the man Moses was more meek. <laughs> more than all people who were on the face there. So, what, 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 what you writing today, Moses? You would ask today, wouldn't you? Yeah. What, what you writing? I'm writing how I'm the meekest man on the face of the earth. Oh. I got to believe that was really, really awkward. You want me to write what, Lord? Just, just write it because in 2019 A.D. I'm going to use it. What does A.D. mean? Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. Just, just write it. Just write that you're the meekest man. Okay. Would you notice three things? Notice three things out of our text. Meekness is exemplified by Moses and Jesus. Well, we could preach on these points. I'm just going to throw them. Here we go. I've got to move on. The Lord honors 
the meek and fights their battles. I'm going to get run over. If I don't stand up for myself, the Lord knows who the meek are. The Lord honors the meek, and the Lord fights their battles. Well, he hasn't yet. Give it time. He does. Second thought. Already been given. It's the key thing through the whole thing. Meekness grows from repeated time with God. They didn't have it. Moses regularly speaks with the Lord, and so he really has meekness more than anybody on the face of the earth, as is exemplified in this situation. Third quick point. The meek, when it's real, are quick to forgive those who have wronged them. When you're not meek, you hold grudges and you don't let it go. But when someone really has meekness because they've really been spending time with the Lord, because they really see themselves, then all of a sudden other people's sins against them are forgivable and it happens quickly. And Moses, just like that, he doesn't do what Jeff would have done. He does what Moses did and he prayed for those who abused him. Go with me if you would, Philippians chapter 2. I know these are classic, classic passages. I am not going... Like I've probably spent a little longer on that than I planned on. But I'm not going to delve deeply into this one. I know Brandon preached, I think, on this like a year ago, something like that. He still has more thoughts on this one day whenever it's, if the Lord leads him to go back into this. I'm just going to touch on it. Jesus is our greatest example of meekness. We're going to see this in the text first. Look at verse number 3. Let's just read the text and let it say what it says. Paul tells the Philippian church, almost like Graceview Church, verse number 3. Hear it. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't do anything. Me. So I get, no, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do that because you really think you're better than everybody else. Don't do it so that you advance your cause. Do nothing from self, that's meekness. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves that is so foreign to us in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests i gotta look out for me i have to advance my cause no also look to the interests of others and then here's our example have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus that's our subject now christ jesus this is so key who, though he was in the form of God, that's just all that means is he is God. Though he's God, the who, Jesus Christ, who, though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He said, Jeff, what does that mean? Watch. Jesus knows that he is God. And he doesn't look as, I want to be equal with God, and I've got to go after it and fight for it. No, he knows I don't have to grasp for that. I already have it. I already have it. This is key. Verse number 7. Because of that, he emptied himself. Now, emptied himself here does not mean, like some have thought, he stopped being God. He became only a human being. No, he emptied himself of the visible, independent use of attributes that he could have called on, but he lays them aside for the sake of other people. Verse number 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Uh-oh, the verse earlier says he's in the form of God. Now here he's called in the human form. So he's God, he hasn't stopped being God, and he is a man, verse 8, being found in human form. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I want to hit quick, quick thoughts. First is this, Jesus Christ really is our greatest. Moses is wonderful. Christ is the greatest example of meekness in all the world. Why? Because he had, listen, I'm going to promise you guys, if you had omnipotence, you know what omnipotence is? All power. He has all power. He has glory. According to the book of Acts, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, sees Jesus Christ in his glorified state, and Paul says he was brighter than the noonday sun. I noticed yesterday the sun. If you were to go out, if the sun pops out today in fullness, right around noontime at its brightest, Jesus is brighter than that. He lays all of that aside. You wouldn't give that up. I wouldn't give it up. I'm going to give up omnipotence and glory brighter than the noonday sun to go down and be a human being. No one does that. Christ did. I look at this text and I learn four quick thoughts. Follow. Meekness counts others as more significant. Say, Jeff, time out. Watch. Jeff, what if I'm like on a lie detector and somebody says, are other people more godly than you? And it would be a lie for me to say they're more godly. What am I supposed to do? What you should do is count. The word count there means consider it so. You're not acknowledging that other people are living very sinful, wicked lives are living better, more godly lives, that would be a lie. What you're acknowledging is, Lord, by all the advantages you've given me, I should be further along than I am. I don't know what they've gone through, but the best I can tell, because of all you've given me, where you've put me, the time period, and all that I've heard, and all that you've done, I should be further along. It's only by your grace that I am where I am. You literally consider it so. You say, but what if it isn't? Stop it. Stop that. I am to consider all of you are more significant, better than I am. But you should say, no, Jeff, actually, I am the one that's at the bottom. And the person beside you should say, no, 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 I am. And if we all did that, then we would be like this text is calling. Second thing I noticed, that meekness puts itself in the shoes of other people. Meekness pities other people. Meekness tries to advance other people's cause, not just their own. And I've already alluded. Here's the third thought. The key to why Christ is able to condescend the way he did is he knows some things. This is so important. Jesus knows he's God and he does not have to go after something he already has. And that's what allows him to be meek. I don't have to fight for things I already have. I don't have to grasp for things. For things I'm already equal with God. He is God. He's God the Son. And so that gives this thought. Jesus is our greatest example of meekness because Christ has all the rights, but he refuses to focus on his right. But that's my right. I deserve that. He doesn't focus on what he deserves. He lays it aside for the sake of others. And Christ condescended, I mean, really stepped down. How far down? He was God, brighter than the noonday sun. He remained God, but laid aside his glory, laid aside the independent use for selfish reasons that he could have done of omnipotence. Why? He became a human being. But God, Father, if I become a human being, then I'm Humans die. You're going to die. So you're going to submit to being a human being. By the way, it's not just going to be any human being. You're not going to be like the greatest that's loved and adored and you're going to have all the best clothes. No, you're going to be a servant and you're going to go all the way down and not just be a human being that's a servant. You're going to die like all human beings. You're going to die the worst death in the history of the world. And Christ says, I will do that for your sake, Father. 
I have all the same power, have a will of my own. I don't want to do it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but I surrender like a broken horse to your will because I want to live a life of eternal significance. And so we read that and we say, boy, if we could all just be like Christ, who just takes it and takes it and takes it, never gets upset. Moses gets attacked and he never gets upset. The Apostle Paul with the Corinthians, we looked at last week, he very awkwardly defends himself against the false teachers. Can I give you one quick thought before we leave and hit to the fourth point? Here it is. Write it down. Because I want to be balanced. The lives of Moses... And Jesus, I'm going to throw Paul in there. Their lives prove that true meekness still allows room for the proper expression of anger. So I don't want you to walk away and say, yeah, meek people, they're never assertive. They always lay down. They never get upset. They just go with the flow. They're kind of like a punching bag, kind of like a doormat. They get walked on by everybody. No, no, no. Hang on. There are times when the meek person gets angry. Listen, very angry. I wrote it down a little differently than I originally typed it. Listen to these sentences because they're true. Jesus got so angry that he drove people out of the temple. And you're like, no, no, you mean he drove people in. You get in that temple and worship God. No, he got so angry he drove people out of the temple. Moses got so angry he broke the original tablets of the Ten Commandments. God's word, God's finger. Moses, what happened to them? Moses broke them in a fit of anger. Paul got so angry that he told some people to go to hell. And he meant it. You go to hell. Now, now that you're woke up, because you were about in that little slumber time, and it's a little warm in here, by the way, but now you're like, well, it's okay, well, I, I've heard of the Jesus clearing the temple and Moses breaking the tablets. What, what's this Paul telling people to go to hell? Oh, yeah. I thought these guys were like meek and mild. There's a time you get upset when meekness is godly, true, deep meekness. It will get upset. You're like, when? When God's reputation is at stake. Jesus made a scourge and whipped. I don't know that he just popped the cord around. I'm wondering if he actually hit some people. He's turning over the money changers. Why? He said, what's going on? I can't preach this whole message. Let me just say this. There were people who were coming trying to worship God and offer sacrifices, but the inspectors were finding silly little problems with the animals and rejecting their animals so that they had to buy their animals at a high price. And you're going to make an offering into the temple? You can't use those Roman coins. You've got to trade them in for our coins. And oh, by the way, there's not like an even exchange rate. They're going to make a huge amount of money. And so people are coming down to Jerusalem to worship the Almighty God, Jehovah God, and they're walking away with a bad taste in their mouth because they're getting hoodooed by these religious people. And Jesus turns their tables over, runs them out, makes a scourge out of a cord out of a group of cords brought together to form a whip. Moses, why did he break the tablets? Because as he's up on the mountain ratifying the agreement with God, the children of Israel said, we're going to do all the things that you said to do. You're going to be our God. We're going to be your people. They're down there dancing naked around a golden calf committing idolatry. They're committing orgy. And so Moses breaks the tablets. Why? Because you broke the tablets. You broke the law. You say, what's this Paul tells these people to go to hell? You know why? 
He's loving and soft and kind, bends over backward with the Corinthians and a lot of people. But with the Galatians, they had false teachers who were coming in. Paul had gone into these churches. He told them the only way to heaven is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him only. And these people were putting their faith in Christ, but the false teachers came back and said, you're not fully saved unless you keep the law. Unless you get circumcised, unless you do the sacrifices and the offerings and keep the laws of the Old Testament. And Paul says, you who are teaching that false doctrine, I wish you would just go ahead and go to hell because that's where you're going. And your false teaching is going to make other people go with you. You get on out of here and then these people can have the truth. Stop perverting the gospel of grace. Salvation is by faith. By the faith in the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop adding your works. Just go ahead and go to hell now. And they're like, whoa. Oh, he's ticked off. So yeah, meekness, yeah, it gets mad. It's called righteous indignation. So if you can sit there and watch God's reputation being run through the mud and you do nothing about it, you don't have meekness. Lastly, meekness is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why I say we can't just work it up. Meekness is the work of the Holy Spirit. Y'all know where I'm going. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Look at this text. Just springing off of it. I have it and one more text. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence, the outworking, the fruit, um, the proof, the byproduct. Ah, that's one looking for. Everybody with me? What's the byproduct of the Holy Spirit living in someone? Here it is. Love, joy, peace, deep, patience, difficult people, difficult circumstances, you're able to endure. What's the byproduct of the Holy Spirit? Kindness, not just lack of meanness, actual kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There it is, gentleness, meekness, power but brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. Self-control, yes, temperance, but gentleness is being brought under the control of the Lord. Here's my point. You can't work it up. You cannot make yourself meek. You can only let the Holy Spirit do a work. I want to propose this to you. When you become a child of God, you can't make yourself meek, but the Holy Spirit will make you meek. Go one last place, and that's Psalm 37. Got your Bible? Psalm 37. I'm going to read it quickly Psalm 37 it seems that Jesus takes his thought for the third beatitude from the final verse I'm going to read Psalm 37 verse 1 I'm going to fly through it I want you to get the feel of it here we go fret not yourself because of evildoers Somebody here right now, you're stressed out. Somebody's doing you wrong. Somebody's doing somebody else wrong, and it's really bothering you. They're getting by with it. Hang on. Here's what the Bible says. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Man, I wish I had their life. Don't do it. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Keep doing good. Don't follow their example. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. We'll probably come back to verse 4 next week. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. In other words, you don't have to do it. In meekness, you don't have to do it. Commit your way. Let the Lord do it. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. The time will come, what you've been doing, you keep doing the right thing, it'll come to light. Just keep doing it. Right now, nobody's seeing it. Stay the course. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil evil devices. Verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. I believe that's personal. Refrain from your personal. Boy, that's not what Christ did in the temple. It wasn't for himself. Moses wasn't for himself. Paul, his anger was not for self. That's how we usually get angry, for selfish reasons. People have done us wrong. They're holding us back. Verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers, here's the key, shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Just a little while, this is the Bible, here's a promise. Just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. He's gone. But the meek shall inherit the land and, divide, and delight themselves in abundant peace. All through that text, you know what I say? This is, the, this is kind of the final key. Meekness is prevalent in people who really do trust the Lord. It's all through it. Trust in the Lord, verse number three. Trust in the Lord. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. How do, so you can't make meekness, you can't just create it. But meekness is prevalent in those who honestly and truly really do trust the Lord. Watch this. Before we trust the Lord, we buy a lie. Here's the lie. My significance is in human acceptance. This life is the measure of all things. That's the lie. I have to fight for myself. If anything good's going to come my way, I've got to earn it. I've got to crush other people. But when we trust the Lord, then all of a sudden we learn this. I'm going to let God be God. I can tr- Lord, you're going to really do this. And God says, I promise. Just trust me. Let me do it. God gets to be God. I don't have to intimidate. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to crush people. And I know that in time, in the end, later, I will get what is mine. Verse number 11. But the meek shall inherit the land so my final thoughts are these test yourself do any of these situations describe you I hope that God will bring about some before and after here's the before and the after here's the before you ready the work of God in us does not produce shy backward slump shouldered people lacking courage The work of God produces a before. That's us naturally. That's us trying to manipulate and crush. And this is us when he works meekness into us. Somebody in this room formerly used to go to meetings. And here's how you would go to meetings. By the way, somebody still goes to meetings like this. You need some meekness. But there's somebody, you remember a day. I used to go to a meeting and I had my mind made up that everybody in the room needs to arrive at my predetermined conclusions. And if they don't, I'm going to get highly offended. When you have meekness, you go to the meeting with your own ideas. I've got some ideas, and your ideas may be the best ones. But you also realize somebody else may have a better idea. When that doesn't happen, boy, the meetings get really explosive. You get a, two or three people with their minds made up, I'm right, and if they don't agree, you've got a big-time problem. But if you can get a room full of people, I have some ideas, I've got an idea, and everybody concludes, we want the best idea. You know what? 
Hers is the best one. And it's, yes, obviously. I didn't think of that. Let's go with that. Here's a second person. This is a person, and they've been here. They're here this morning, or they used to do this, and they're here this morning. Here's before and after. Naturally, they position themselves strategically in situations to be seen. Literally. So, Jeff, what do you mean? Like, literally, they just want to be seen. They go to the restaurant in a few minutes, and as they look, they evaluate where is the best seat. And when they go to a meeting, it, it literally is usually unconscious. Unconscious. Where's the most authoritative seat? I'm going to get it. But when they get meekness, they literally don't even think anymore. It's just like, hey, grab a seat. Or I don't care if anybody sees me or not. I don't care if anybody thinks highly of me or not. That doesn't matter. Why? Because they've got a true view of self. Here's a third one. The before picture is someone who stands in judgment of other people and refuses to grant them forgiveness. The after meekness is this person now has a greater view of their own sins between them and God more than they realize the sins of others. Yes, I'm aware of the sins of others against me, but I'm more aware of my own sins against God. And this person, once that has happened, is quick to forgive because they're so busy seeking God's forgiveness. That's meekness. Here's another before and after. Before meekness, before the work of Christ in us, people go around looking through a lens, and here's the lens. What can other people do for me? They're in the room right now. Here's your cue. If you go home today, having not served anyone, but you're a little bit mad that so-and-so didn't talk to you or didn't do something for you, that'll happen. It's going to happen today. Somebody's going to get in the car, and they're going to be like, what you upset about? That and that and that. They didn't serve one person. But they're upset that others didn't do that. Somebody didn't meet their expectation. Yeah, that's the before, and you're still stuck in the before. After meekness, their idea is, you know what? God's gifted me with spiritual gifts, and I've not been using them, and I've got to start going to church and other places, the workplace and the family. I've got to start using my abilities, my resources, to serve other people. Two or three more, watch quickly. The before is the person who just refuses to listen to anybody who has a different opinion. Watch. Different than the meeting, this is one-on-one. You ever seen them? You're trying to talk to them, but they disagree with you. And you're trying to make a great point, but you can tell, uh, hello, hello. And they're like looking right past you because they heard a sentence four sentences ago, and they've already got their rebuttal, and they're just waiting on you to stop so they can hammer you. Why? I don't agree with you. I'm not going to agree with you. We've been there. But meekness says, you may have something I need to hear. I need to update my belief. And they'll yield. And even if they don't find wisdom in what you say, they're still going to be patient with that person. Here's the last two. The before is the person is just discontent. They're so upset what they don't have. And they're very proud. What I don't have, and I need to be thought highly of, but when real meekness, check yourself here. When Somebody's in this right now. This is a test. When real meekness comes in, then all of a sudden they can bear and even celebrate and have genuine joy when someone else receives a blessing. I've been wanting to do that. I thought I was going to get that promotion. I thought I was going to get that position. But you ended up getting, you're going where? Oh, they bought you a new what? You got a new house, a new car. This person is not, oh, that's great. I hate your guts. They really are, that is awesome. That is awesome. Lord, thank you for letting that happen to them. Other people are praising someone else, and instead of it burning you up, it's like, God, that's good. I'm glad to hear them being praised. That's tough. 
Here's the last one. Before, there are some folks, some of us, who speak down to people because of their age. They're old. <laughs> they're old. Or they're just a kid. They talk down, tone, very, very. They would never talk to anybody else that way. Or rank at work because they can. They're not on your level. Just That's why you talk to them. Or their gender. Women are sidekicks. They're here for ser to serve us. Or men are pigs. Everybody knows that. And it comes out in the way you talk to them. Or intellect. You can kind of tell. They're not as smart as I am, and you talk down to them. Or their appearance is not as great as yours, and so you talk down to them. But the, per the person of meekness says, oh, no, no. I'm going to consider you and you and you and you. You are more significant to me. God used me to talk to them. I'm going to honor this person with my full attention. Guys, when we really spend time between us and the Lord and we confess we have no spiritual resources, we mourn over our sin, hang with me, we mourn over our sin so much so that we beg God, God, would you please, I have no righteousness, would you please let Jesus' death on the cross count for me? Would you give me his righteousness? I am receiving that salvation. I'm gonna propose, once you've done that, you are on the road toward meekness and Jesus has special promises that are guaranteed only for those people, only those people will have the end of verse 5. You shall inherit the earth. The world says that the meek are doormats, you're getting crushed. Jesus says, stay the course. I promise when it's all said and done, you win. You want to be winning in the second quarter or you want to end, be winning when the clock strikes zero? Christ says, I promise you, you will inherit. You don't earn the earth, you will inherit the earth. I will give it to you as a gift. And that knowledge, when we really trust Christ, Christ, do you promise it? I promise. Commit your way to the Lord. Man, that frees us up. That frees us up. I don't have to manipulate and crush and conquer. I can go in and yield my rights. I can give you place, unless it's the reputation of Christ. I ain't going to fight for that. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Just before we pray, I want to ask you, just before we pray, we're going to pray and be dismissed. Use this time for a quick Holy Ghost evaluation of self. Everybody ready? Question. Have you been like a gentle breeze that refreshes? Or a hurricane? Have you been like a soothing medicine that heals? Or do you come on way too strong making people sick? Have you been like a broken horse or a wild maverick? Do you go through life overpowering people, using your natural ability, usually shoulder position, arching your body, raising your tone, deepening your tone, raising the volume, intimidating, demanding your rights, Here's what I'll promise you. You cannot go out of here and fake it. God cannot be fooled. What you need to do right now is say, God, would you help me do the only thing that will produce true meekness? I want that blessing. Lord, would you help me to really see a true view of myself by seeing a greater view of you? And here's my challenge right before I pray. Would you make a point? You see, I've been doing it. Keep doing it. It has to be deep. 
has to be frequent, has to be repeated, continuous. Because the old flesh keeps creeping back in. You may have been meek yesterday, but the old nature wants to come back in. Keep it beat down. How? Spend deep and frequent, repeated times with God. Lord, help us. Ask him that. Lord, help us. Put that into our schedule and make it a priority. Lord, help me to learn your promises and trust your promises and know that it's true and you are going to cause us to inherit the whole earth. And we don't have to fight for the here and the now in this situation. I can yield this. I've been so challenged the last couple of days by a brand new Christian. She's getting run over. And it makes me mad. I want to go in. Oh, man, I'm, it ticks me off. And she's taking it. She's, she's exhibiting meekness, a brand new Christian. And here's been irritating me. She will inherit the earth. Spend time with God. Guys, I'm going to promise you, if you only rely on a couple of hours on a Sunday, we will go out of here like a herd of wild horses wreaking havoc. Got to meet with him regularly. Father, would you meet with us? Lord, would you call us to spend regular time with you? Lord, where we acknowledge fresh and new, we have no spiritual resources apart from Christ. Lord, that we mourn over our sins. I know that our relationship never changes. But Lord, when our fellowship is strained and threatened because of new sins after salvation, Lord, may we mourn over that. And Lord, would you use that proper view of you and our proper view of ourselves, God, to create a true meekness that is refreshing everywhere we go to where we help people and bring healing. And Lord, where our spirit is literally broken and yielded and live in submission to Christ. To his name we pray. Amen.